soul Telling me we'd better get out Oh, but try as I might I can't get up and go Oh, Betty, my darling, what now? Betty, won't you tell me what's wrong, my dear? Why do I feel like my mind is gone? Oh, the lights down the white mountain range, I fear They're never gonna leave us alone When I talk, I'm gonna keep it on me. When you talk, I'm gonna put it on you. Technology, you you know, it's uh, speaking of technology, you got any updates on technology? Well, this is a real minor simulation moment, but uh, just yesterday, the day before, there's a guy from my gym that I was like, next time I see him, I'm gonna talk to him about financial planning. He's a financial advisor mm-hmm. and uh i thought i don't know if he's the guy to talk to or not about that sort of thing but you know, I'm gonna that's ask what he him. does so. well yeah but i just thought maybe he does like corporate stuff or something or like yeah i guess you know you meet a lawyer and he's like yeah. well, i'm actually a cpa but i'm also a lawyer right yeah that sort of thing i don't know if he helps dudes like me plan for things like i want to plan for and then i mean like less than two minutes later he's driving down the other way on the road and I never see that guy out anywhere but the gym, which is nowhere near my house. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, that's weird. I was just thinking about that guy. I just made him appear. <laughs> I haven't talked to him yet, but anyway. It's weird to think about. Maybe maybe you did make him appear. I think maybe I did. I don't know. Um, updates from last since last podcast. I was thinking uh, that would be kind of a fun thing to do like a simulation story update like on a regular as a regular thing last time we talked about it i couldn't think of anything you know and i think a lot of times we're looking for like these giant glaring events but those type where you go i was just thinking about that guy and then he just showed up it seems like a lot of those happen yeah you know like you think about somebody and then they call you and you're like that's odd i haven't talked to them in like a year yeah and then I had a buddy that we pretty regularly did that because we wouldn't talk very often. Mm-hmm. Be like I'd call him like once a year, but it would always be like he'd be like, "That's so weird." I was thinking about giving you a call today yeah. and checking in, but Oprah says thoughts have wings. Which Oprah? The like, Oprah, the ch- chunky years Oprah, or the, oh, this would have been Oprah twenty twenty years ago. <laughs> I had a buddy who's always said that he would always call her the Which chun- Oprah? Oprah in the chunky years. Well, what would Oprah be like late nineties? Those are chunky years. Okay. This is, uh, yeah. This is that Oprah. <laughs> so that's back when Probably she- Probably a happier Oprah. Yeah. She she had to interview people that, you know, it wasn't, she was interviewing like the, uh, our kind of people, like the ufologists <laughs> and stuff, you know? Like she wasn't Tom Cruise yet. Um, Yeah. I don't know. This, she was pretty regular stuff at that time. That but yeah, she, Everybody's getting t-shirts! <laughs> <laughs> God, it's such a weird, um, she's, I mean, I don't know her, but she's a weird character. Like I went to, uh, St. Lucia and like years ago and we were staying right down the beach from her like mansion in St. Lucia. It was like, you could walk to her beachfront, but there was like guards that wouldn't let you go past it on the beach. And, um. I mean, insanely, I say strange and just like odd, like, like kind of like Michael Jackson or Elvis Presley, yeah. like just hugely successful. But if you stop and you just kind of look at them for a second, you kind of go, that's a very strange person. You know, is she a Scientologist? Probably. Probably. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that. I don't yeah. know for sure. I mean, not in the way that like a Leah Remini or Tom Cruise, you yeah. know, they're like publicly 
Well, Scientology, we, we, we have to podcast about that. That's there are so many hooks and like just crazy stories connected with Scientology. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's top of mind because Friedman just had a Scientologist guy on, and so I'm starting to look into like somebody it a who more. was a Scientologist mm-hmm. and now yeah. they're out of it, an or? educator, yeah, somebody yeah. that's out of it, yeah. Um, I listened to uh, a story about Jack Parsons. You Not know who Jack Parsons, Jack Parsons is? Parsons, yeah. So Jack Parsons, we're going to have to do a po- podcast on him because it's so insane. He is um, like the godfather of our rocket program in the, in the U.S. space program. And if you look at that guy's life, it is just bonkers. Like he was connected with L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, okay. And so um, he... He's in Diana Polska's book about American Cosmic when she's talking about creativity and, and the the idea of um, belief systems and how they play a role in you know what you what you do. He's he's one of her examples because hmm. like you don't have to believe anything that he was doing. She, she's just saying like if you if you asked him what his belief system was and like where did he develop these formulas and these these ideas to ve- to develop these rockets that NASA couldn't come up with and the Russians couldn't come up with and his process was go out into the desert with L Ron Hubbard and um Huxley and a bunch of other odd people and perform these occult satanist rituals taking drugs and then somehow Something's downloaded into your brain, and he's there. You go. There's your rocket program. This explains so much. Like I often find myself wondering why I haven't developed any rockets. <laughs> it's it's you're not a Satanist on LSD. Is if you if all you wrong. <laughs> your process is all wrong. Um, it sounds so strange to say it, but if you go and you research his life, you go. But that's what he was doing. Like, and yeah. if you and you look at interviews with him, like where he thought these ideas were coming from, where he thought, I mean, it's just, uh, it's it's really far out, just far out there stuff. And so the L. Ron Hubbard thing was it's so bizarre because L. Ron Hubbard like ripped him off. Like they were like doing Scientology stuff together. Mm-hmm. It was kind of before he started Scientology, and then. He basically talked him into giving him his fortune. L. Ron Hubbard just takes like $400,000 of his money and just buys a yacht and just takes off. And then there's this weird story where it's like he takes off with like his his wife's sister who Can, he who he had had an affair with before. L. Ron Hubbard took off with, with Jack's Jack Parsons' wife's sister who Jack Parson had had a relationship with before and when she was probably underaged. And so at some point, Jack Parsons, like, I'm going to have you arrested if you don't bring my money back, blah, blah, blah. And L. Ron he Hubbard. He didn't say, I'm not, I'm going to have you arrested if you don't bring my sister-in-law back. Yeah, you no, just... he didn't care about her. He just wanted the money. <laughs> and then the sister-in-law is like, threatens him, like, if you uh, go to the police, I'm going to tell them that, you know, about your relationship about, with me when I was a minor. And, and then they end up going, fine, whatever, just settle. And L. Ron oh Hubbard gives them like five grand and calls it a day. But it's just bizarre. Like, yeah, that I is mean, bizarre. And L. Ron Hubbard had like a long, like that's, he was a con man. Like that's what he would do. He would just, and he did that. Like there's been movies made about it, but yeah, he would talk people out of their fortunes and then use it to buy yachts and go around. <laughs> Um, I don't know. That's an, a podcast for another day. Yeah. I want to do a little deep dive into L. Ron Hubbard at this point. I mean, I know. It's not the subject of this podcast. Yeah. But Sorry. You could, you could probably connect him to a lot of the funny business of the 20th century. You'll find some sort of connection to L. Ron it Hubbard. It is uh, crazy. And it is a little bit of a, earlier we were talking a little bit about spirituality in the 70s people kind of like on this big search mm-hmm. and guys like that could really capitalize on lost people you know? they could but also the weird thing is sometimes it works 
Sometimes hmm. you get a Tom Cruise. Well, yeah. Sometimes you get a Jack Parsons. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you get, uh, you know, that's kind of the point of uh, Diana's book is whether or not you believe that they're being communicated with mm-hmm. aliens from some off-world entity, they believe they are, and they are coming up with... I mean, another example she uses was a famous Indian mathematician that I can't remember his name, but it's... um. He's a very famous mathematician, and he came up with these these uh, math equations that were just revolutionary. I think he won the Nobel Peace Prize. Is it possibly uh, Srinivasa Ramanujan? See, even with it in front of you, you can't really say it. But that, was, that, was, th- that sounds right. I but, don't think I could have done any but better. When people would ask him where he where he came up with these equations that mathematicians had racked their brains over for centuries he would say that there was a there's a some hindu goddess that he would whisper them in his ear that would be his explanation that this hindu goddess whispered them in my ear that was his and it sounds kind of like uh fun i guess but then when you stop and think about it you go wait a minute are you, are you serious like you were sitting in a room and this goddess showed up and whispered those formulas in your ear and then you just wrote it down he would say yeah that's exactly how it happened And then you think, well, that's pretty strange. But those formulas add up. See what I did there? Oh, yeah. Nice one. (laughs) So today... It's funny if you you want more on that, just Google literally famous Indian mathematician. That's It's the first guy that comes up. Does it have anything about the goddess that he he Uh, said gave him the formulas? He had almost no formal training in pure mathematics. Yeah, that was the other side of the story. It's so strange that he, he almost came out of nowhere, just like Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons flunked <sighs> out of Caltech. He he was kicked out because he kept blowing stuff up in the lab. <laughs> and then he goes on to like really blow stuff up all the way out into space. Hmm. And yeah. then he ended up blowing himself up because I think one of his rockets went bad when he was like in his 30s. So, well, you play with rockets long, long enough. enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like that has anything to do with him not having a lot of like technical knowledge. I feel like, like you said, the odds are just with every rocket you play with, you're getting closer to the one. Yeah. I just, I like, um, there's so many stories about, uh, there was a really good podcast with, uh, Eric Weinstein was on Rogan recently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you listened to that one. We mm-hmm. talk about Rogan not all that the time. Specific one, yeah. Um, but, uh, he's talking about like, great scientist versus good scientist. And to be a great scientist, you kind of have to be a cowboy. You have to be you have to be uh willing to be completely wrong. You have to be willing to be made a fool. Yeah. And some of the greatest scientists like Kerry Mullis is one that he talks about that I've I've like listened to lectures with Kerry Mullis for years and he invented the um Telephone? Yeah, telephone. PCR. It's it's a DNA replicating process that we use in like everything now. Okay. But he, again, he's an example of this kind of belief system thing that Diana writes about is that he was on acid when he came up with this idea. Like he was, he's a hippie and he's like this far out, you know, chemistry professor and everybody told him his idea about it was wrong. And he was just like, ah, no, I can do it. Let me show you. And then he did it and he won the Nobel Peace Prize for it. And if you listen to lectures of him talking about it, he's pretty open about like his process. And it's just, um, you know, he's, he's an out there kind of guy and, you know, how exactly he came up with the right answer. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a mysterious Get thing. Get out to the desert. It's like writing a hit song and you just, you know, like you said, Tom Petty just kind of, Waits for it to it come down. Comes down. It's like yeah. an antenna. But speaking of that song, so, yeah. at the at the beginning of this, we'll play. So you will have heard it already. The B- ballad of Betty and Barney Hill, mm-hmm. which is the subject of today's podcast. So, uh, going back to my thing, simulation moments. Anytime, let's do that. Anytime either of us has a simulation moment, we'll just share that with you guys, yeah. so that you keep up to date. Mm-hmm. This was a pretty. Um, pretty insane. I mean, it's hard to beat that Obama's making a movie about the same subject as the song. That's pretty crazy. But then we released the song on YouTube this last week. It'd be out on Spotify and all that on March 28th. But um, the day that I released it, I just happened to be friends with my friend Gentry, who's probably listening. Gentry, thanks so much. Uh, She's 
just this cool UFO uh, personality that is, and she's into UFOs and she's, um, she's a lot like me, I guess, in that way. Like we're weirdos. We like, we like this world. We live in this world. And I knew that she happened to uh, have met Betty Hill's niece at some point, Kathleen Martin. And uh, so I texted Gentry and just said, I'd love for her to hear this song if you can forward her this mm-hmm. link to the YouTube. And I said it so like an old person to the YouTube. <laughs> and uh, Could you please mail her a link? Can you mail her to get, direct her to the YouTube so yeah, she can listen to the w- song? www.youtube. And that same day that we released the song, uh, she was like, oh yeah, I'll just group text her right now and, and tell her about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> she did. And then Kathleen was texting me back about it and saying, oh, I love the song. It's the best, you know, version of that story she's heard. And um, to me, it was just, that's awesome. That's amazing that she had, hears a song about her aunt and um, an uncle. And also just, but then that moment, it's like, did that just happen? Yeah. Did that really just happen? Mm-hmm. It's pretty strange. That I would know Gentry, that Gentry would know her, yeah. that they would be connected, and then she'd be like, that day that we released it, she's texting me about the song? When you text me about the exchange, I kind of di- like dismissed it. Like, I must have read that wrong. So today when you asked, like, did you see, did you see I text with, with Barney Hill or with Betty Hill's niece? I was like, yeah, I did see that. I didn't actually, like, think about it and go, like, the... The person we're talking about here, yeah, 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 the Betty Hill. It's the it's the niece. So is that the niece who is the daughter of the sister who yes. had seen yes. who had had a UFO sighting? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, from reading. So a she was bit, it there, like, like she remembers uh, Betty and Barney coming back from the experience and and telling everybody about it and mm-hmm. being you know freaked out and like. Uh, I think she's written a book about it, and she's she's spoken a lot about it. But uh, she's she's given interviews, and she's like, yeah, you know, she was a kid at the time, and she remembers it, and it's pretty wild. I mean, so let's get into the story, yeah. and you guys will love this one. This is, uh, like I said on the last podcast, there are two men in the world who are obsessed with the Betty and Barney Hill story so much that they would create great works of art to <laughs> to to tell the story and to get it out there. I'm one of those men. Barack Obama is the other man. Hopefully one of these days we'll meet and we'll yeah. sit down, put all of our political differences aside and talk about UFOs. <laughs> that, that would be, if that happens, that's yeah. how you know you're in a simulation. You, you'll know it. Yeah. If a year it. from now we're yeah. having a conversation and that, and that happens, then you'll go, if, okay. Well. What if Barack is just up here in your upstairs room (laughs) he's and i'm kind of irritated because he's in my seat that would be that'd be something that would be something else i don't watch you fool with the cameras (laughs) at that point i think i'd bring in a producer producer at that point we'll we'll find somebody to run the switcher but so why don't you kick us off with the wikipedia rundown of the story of Betty and Barney Hill. And then from there, we'll kind of dissect it and, you know. Um, I will give a pretty brief summary. And then if there's anything you want me to call out, I can dive into a little bit more specific uh, details. But Betty and Barney Hill uh, lived in New Hampshire, and they took a vacation up towards Niagara Falls. 1961, right? Yep. uh, Late in September of 1961, they decided to come back uh, home. So as they're driving home around 1030 at night on uh, September 20th, they see uh, Betty starts to notice some lights in the sky. And uh, Barney is pretty dismissive of it at first. Kind of says, well, that's either... That's either some constellation you're not familiar with or, you know, airplane or something like that. Um, but Betty kind of, you know, persists and says, no, there's something to that. So at some point they pull over, let the dog out, and they start watching a little more. Um, and then at some point in here it says uh, Barney was – he was pretty sure it was just a large aircraft um, until the lights made like a, a steep decline at a speed that was not consistent with something you'd see out of like an airliner. 
Okay. Um, so they get back in the car, keep making their way home. Um, and uh, Betty continues to keep monitoring these lights. and As they drive through the White Mountain Range. Correct. That's... Yeah, they're uh, near Frank uh, Franconia. Um, let's see, where is it? I said I got to be sure and get that right. No, I don't have it. Back, uh, I think that's right, Franconia. Franconia Notch, yeah. Franconia um, Notch. Yeah, so you're right. They're going through, um, let's see. Betty continues to monitor it, um, and then at some point they pull over to watch it again, uh, at, at which point they they see this thing's getting closer and closer. It gets down to approximately 100 feet in the air, and... Uh, Barney's looking up at it through his binoculars, and he can see uh, what he calls humanoid figures, uh, somewhere between 8 and 11 of them. And uh, a few of those figures go to the back wall of this flying saucer and uh, start throwing switches and levers, um, which he perceives as like they're going to be coming down to get him. And one of the figures locks eyes with Barney from the, you know, driver's seat of the ship. And from the way Barney explains it, it's uh, the the captain of the ship is telepathically telling him, stay where you are, we're coming to get you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so Barney gets back in the car and gets moving. Um, and he's telling Betty, like, they, I think they're after us. And uh, they're trying to make it, you know, you're going down this curvy mountain road. They're trying to get away and evade a spaceship. And so, don't they see it following them as they're going? Yeah, like they, they can yeah. keep looking up and they're mm-hmm. seeing it's moving yeah, it's, with them. It's gaining on them. Yeah. Um, at some point, it gets close enough to where they, they start hearing like a beeping noise. Um, I think one of the uh, descriptions of it was kind of like if your trunk were left open, you know. Um, and then there's like a vibration in the car, um, sort of like if you hit a tuning fork and then put it up against your body, that sort of a thing. Hmm. Um, and then as far as the account goes, they lose about, I mean, they kind of go into this sort of a daze, you know, semi-conscious state um, and really start to kind of come to about 35 miles down the road, um, at which point they pull over and they see a orange, uh, just an orange blast a light and that's what they think is this spaceship taking off uh they go ahead and finish the drive home and they get home two maybe three hours later than they expected um they expected to get home somewhere around 2 a.m they get home right around dawn mm-hmm. uh, of course they're tired not only was it a long drive but they had this weird thing happen uh sleep it off a little bit and then uh get up the next morning and kind of you know, debrief on the situation. Betty finds that her dress that she was wearing is torn. Barney finds that his shoes that, uh, you know, a couple spots that I was reading, he's like the tops of his shoes. His shoes, a, were his shoes were scuffed up, but in a yeah. weird place. Like yeah. they were like, like his feet had been dragged okay. and his feet, like his feet might've been behind him. Okay. And he's like the tops of his yeah, shoes, were, his all shoes scuffed. were scuffed up. The, you know, there's a comment in the Wikipedia and more than one account I heard was that he was a snappy dresser. <laughs> Which I guess the significance of that is that, you know, if my son said, oh, dad, my shoes are scuffed up, I'd be like, well, they've probably been that way for months. Mm-hmm. And but he just now, but somebody that is a little more aware of their appearance is going to notice if their nice shoes are scuffed up. Um, so uh, that is the encounter on, you know, September 19th slash 20th. And yeah, you're right. Uh, Kathleen, the niece that we've been talking about has a little bit of a blog post describing the overhearing the phone call. Oh yeah. Can you read that? Uh, yeah. I'll read a little bit of that. Let's see. I've heard this before, but I don't remember exactly what she says. Um, and so as you're looking for that, mm-hmm. I think too, like originally did they not remember much of the encounter like originally they just remember what you described, which right. was this light taking off and then them going back home. And it wasn't until later when they were uh, getting some counseling about this because it was 
disturbed Barney quite a bit. Yeah. That all of a sudden they had these memories coming back to them that they there a lot more had happened than um, just they saw it. Yeah, it's it's Barney didn't doesn't seem to me that Barney had a lot of memories coming back. It was more Betty had about ten days after this event. Mm-hmm. So you know you're getting into early October of 1961. Uh, Betty starts having these weird, you know, pretty uh, lucid dreams of you know, you know, going what, on the ship, you know, meeting these the people. Ship, right. Okay, we can get into that side of it. So yeah, this later. is just an excerpt from uh, Kathleen Martin's blog uh, describing the afternoon of September 20th. So this is the afternoon after Barney and Betty had gotten back from their drive from pretty fresh. So fresh this is, yeah, this is yeah. the day after the drive. Uh, she said, I had ride home from school on the afternoon of September 20th, anticipating a social visit with my mother before I did my afternoon chores. Again, Kathleen's mother being Betty Hill's sister who reportedly had had a UFO sighting not long before this. I mean, whether that's months or years, but fairly recent history. Uh, this day, my mom was preoccupied with a phone call from her sister, Betty Hill. It was not the typical conversation that I was accustomed to hearing. There was a concern over possible contamination from the, quote, flying saucer that had hovered over their 1957 Chevy Bel Air the previous night when they were traveling through the New Hampshire's White Mountain region. Flying saucer, aliens, I was completely unaware that life existed on other planets. On this day, my life changed forever. As it should. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yeah. And she was texting me the other day. Yeah, this same woman. I know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. It's a simulation. And then There's, it goes on to say, I text Dante about this all the time. Yeah. yeah. His song is the best it's alien the abduction best alien song, song I've ever heard in my entire life. I was life. just telling Barack how great the song is. It'll yeah. be on the soundtrack to the film <laughs> next year. Yep. Okay. Um, not all of that's in the blog. You can read it for yourself. Yeah, most of that is, though. It's most read between the lines, yeah, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. Of, yeah, it's implicit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what? So, then after that, at some point, they contact lo- the local Air Force Base, don't they, to report that's, it? That's right. Yeah. Uh, September 21. So, we're talking, yeah, 19th, they're driving home in the evening. So, the evening of the 19th, they have this encounter with a UFO. The afternoon of the 20th is when we hear Kathleen Martin's account of getting home and hearing Betty talking to her sister on the phone. The 21st, uh, Betty telephones uh, Pease Air Force Base to report their UFO encounter. Um, and they, they sent people out to investigate, didn't they? Yeah, it looks like on the 22nd, so the day after they've called the Air Force Base, Major Paul Henderson telephoned the Hills for a more detailed interview. Um the Air Force's looks like the Air Force's stance on this at this time was kind of just well, there's not really sufficient data. They probably just got confused, and it was probably just aircraft. Or a lot of people was it? I think they thought uh, that the hills were seeing Jupiter. Yeah, um, and just got mixed up. Jupiter and Venus both move so much in the sky that like most. Not most. I mean, that's what they want you to believe. But <laughs> most UFO <laughs> sightings, or a lot of times. I mean, I had a buddy once call me, like even just recently. The I think Venus was really close to the moon, mm-hmm. and he's a very sober guy. And he was like, called me out of nowhere. I'm not even close with him either. He just knew I was into UFOs, and he's like, "Man, you step outside and look at look at the moon right now." I'm like, "All right, go out there." And it was weird because Venus was very close to the moon. It's so close that. It look it can look like it's almost moving, and that mm-hmm. and that was it. It does create when it's close to the horizon or when it's close to like trees or close to the moon. Mm-hmm. It just it's really weird to look at it for some reason. But if you if you really stare at it, you get for a while and you pick a point on the horizon, then you realize it's not moving. Yeah. But if you just look at it on its own, you, so you might think it is. That's interesting to hear you say that because one of the skeptic rebuttals I heard uh, while I was looking into this was. You know, if you're on a sailboat and you look up at something like that, um, and I think he was referring specifically to Jupiter, uh, he was saying it can give you the appearance that it's moving, but because it's you're, you're on you're, constantly you're on moving. a boat that's yeah. rocking with waves and whatnot. Um, and so I think probably is the Air Force is looking into this because you're driving kinda, in a car, similar kind exact, of and reaction. Yeah, you know, we're talking yeah. curvy mountain roads, you know, changing evolution, and possibly you're 
you know, you're changing from north to east to west, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and and then, you know, obviously doing that, you're gonna you're gonna rip your dress and scuff up your shoes and <laughs> then, you know that happens too because uh-huh. of the bumpy car. All the time. You know? Yeah, that it was interesting. Um some of the skeptical hole poking that I heard I would be really on board with like that going, well, you know, it's not like she's like a, an astrologer or anything like that. Um, and no, they were both very sober people, right? They but, were, they were actually another point is they were interracial couple, which was odd yeah, at right, that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not very common. And they were both, I think pretty involved in the civil rights movement. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. Actual like board members of the NAACP. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. And so and she's a social worker. So yeah, yeah, I would imagine she's particularly at that time, probably relatively progressive. And also not like, not wacky people. Like they weren't, um, anyone that knew them, they weren't, uh, you know, if I told you that happened to me, you'd go, well, it kind of makes sense. Cause it's Dante, you know what I mean? Um, versus these other yeah, people. It's hard to gauge. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking like my dad in the sixties in Oklahoma probably would have thought they were wacky, but my dad, again, he's in Oklahoma in the Midwest. So like, you know, they're members of a Unitarian church. They're an interracial company or a couple in the sixties, mm-hmm. but they're not far from Boston. Yeah. Um, so yeah, East coast, I'm sure they're like not near as out there as, people in the Midwest would think of them in the 60s. Well, I think there's there's going to be out there people wherever you go. It's just, yeah. in their case, there wasn't, there's no evidence that they were involved in any kind of UFO movements or any kind of, like, if, if this if this was, I mean, it did come out of nowhere, it seemed like. Did the people that knew them, too, kind of said that. Like, they weren't UFO people, except for the sister mm-hmm. thought she had seen one. But even right. in that case, I don't think she was involved in, like, ufology or yeah. you know um you know that that world or anything yeah no you're right uh all accounts as far as i know of are yeah they're pretty regular upstanding citizens he was a mailman wasn't he yeah he, at least he worked for the post office graveyard shift but i don't know that he carried the mail okay he did at some point there's a picture of him putting mail in a mailbox in like a post uniform so but it's if you're working graveyard shift, I don't think you're like, you're not a black guy walking around neighborhoods in the 60s. Probably going not. Going house to house. People don't. It was, yeah. it was a different time. Yeah. But um, so what, at what point did they get medical attention or seek some sort of medical? You know, the, so like you said, they, uh, they Cause they were few, confused for a while. They were like truly, yeah, truly they, trying to work out in their mind what. A couple exactly weeks happened? later, she starts having these dreams. Uh, she's journaling about them, keeping a diary of these dreams. Uh, it looks like, you know, she's having some... She and Barney both are talking with folks from their church about this from time to time, friends and family, that sort of thing. Um, and then at some point, the there's a recommend... Somebody recommends like, hey, why don't you go talk to somebody about this? Because, yeah, it sounds like Barney in particular Because, yeah, was Barney was really... Kind of troubled by this. There's there's an actually uh, a movie... I'd have to look up the name of it because it's not Betty and Barney Hill. It's something different, like Encounter or something like that. But it was made in the early 70s about this. And it was actually one of James Earl Jones' first films. He plays yeah. Barney Hill. All right. And... He's fantastic in it. It's not a great movie. It's pretty low budget production, but he, I mean, he, you know, as an actor, like he's very, he's very, he's the best. And, uh, he does play the, it was an emotional experience for Barney, I think, because I think I've listened to interviews with Betty later in life and, you know, she, to her, she said to her, it was a, it was a profound experience. She was excited about it. Mm-hmm. She was like, this is amazing. I'm meeting these people from another planet, you know, yeah. and they're, they're coming to talk to us. But because Barney was such a big guy, they did something to him to, to, to sedate him or to like control him. Mm. And so he didn't, it, to him, he was kind of taken against his will to be mm-hmm. a part of this. Yeah. And to her, she was conscious of the whole experience, according to her, and she re- and, and she voluntarily went with them 
to talk with them to mm-hmm. like to to you know have this experience so i think that's why they had this such a different reaction to it because he felt like this was a real violation of his you know privacy and his you know you know just his uh it was like being kidnapped even though i don't yeah, think they right. did anything to him and in her experience it was more like you know, no, everything's fine. She kind of even understood why, because he was so much bigger than them. Mm-hmm. Why, yeah, you would, you know, he, he would never let anybody, you know, push him around or, you know, yeah. make him do something he didn't want to do, you know? So anyway, when, when do they, when do they get, so they go to the church, they have a psychiatrist at some yeah, point. It looks so like, see, I mean, it's, I remember this jumping out at me when I was looking through this before, but I mean, it's not until March of 1963 that Betty and Barney Hill go public and discuss the UFO encounter with the group at their church. Um, hmm. So we're talking a year and a half later. Um, and then you fast forward. The Hills uh, first met Simon, Dr. Simon, who's the hypnotist, um, December 14th, 1963. So it's two years after this encounter that they go in for this hypnosis. You're good. You're good. I'm just yeah. checking the cameras okay. and making sure we're still rolling. We're good. Um, Batteries on. So yeah, Simon began hypnotizing the Hills on January 4th, 1964. Uh, he hypnotized Betty and Barney several times each, and the sessions lasted until June 6th, 1964. So, looks like yeah, uh, Betty and Barney meet Doctor Simon late 1963, but they don't actually begin the hypnotist or the hypnotisms until early 1964. So, I mean, this is a pretty long and then stretch it's in, of time. It's in those sessions, though, that she really starts to piece together some of her memories, right? Yeah, it sounds like the dreams that she had, uh, you know, like, it wasn't like night one she had, you know, chapter one of the memory, you know, yeah. when they go on the ship. The, the dreams kind of came out of order, and then they placed them in chronological order throughout some of these uh, hypnosis sessions. So in the dreams, she's remembering... So what happened that was more than just what their initial memory was, right. that, that they landed and there was somebody in the road right? And, and other men behind them, and they ended up going with them onto the ship. Right. So yeah, you're right. So up until these hypnosis sessions, you know, the account is just that they had been on the road. They saw some lights. They may or may not have been pursued by this ship. There was some beeping. There was some vibration. They were in a daze. They kind of lost about 35 miles in two hours of time. And then they went home and they were a little weirded out and dress was torn. Boots are scuffed. Um, yeah, it's not until we get into these public you know, discussion and, and hypnosis sessions that we get deeper into you know, the actual interaction with and, these. Yeah. Beings. And you can look up interviews with her later in life where she talks a lot about what exactly happened. And it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's covered in the movie too, but mm-hmm. it's like, they basically went on their ship. They took Barney into one room. She went into another room. They were doing some tests on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one, one of them, the leader, there's only one that could speak English. And it yeah. was like she described it as like he was speaking English like somebody who didn't speak English as a first language, and it was like broken, but his accent was completely foreign to her. She could like if you'd heard somebody French speaking English, you could kind yeah, of yeah. if you heard a German speaking English, it was like that, except his accent was like just something weird that she couldn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And their language that they spoke to one another, she couldn't she yeah. couldn't understand. But that um he he spoke enough to communicate with her, but not like Clearly, like like if you went to a country and somebody was like, I kind of speak English, kind of nice. like kind of like if you ever go to France and you tell yeah. them, you know, you know, do you speak English? They'll say yeah. no, 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 until you try to speak French to them, and then all of a sudden they'll say, actually, I do speak English, and then they'll <laughs> they just can't stand to hear you butcher their language. I've actually done that. It's uh, totally true. Like French, just ask them, speak English? No, I I mean, just, yeah. just say we oui, we, oui, and they're like, yeah. no, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, why don't you watch me butcher your language for a minute? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's probably a lot more painful to hear an, an American Ooh, butcher French than to hear a Frenchman butcher a, English. An Oklahoman American. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't pretty. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
when she's on the the well she when she's interacting with them though there's a lot of things that happened that like they described they showed her a map of where they were from i guess and yeah they even gave her a book right because she was saying um that she was very excited about this. And she was mm-hmm. like, my friends are going to want to know about this. Like yeah. you need, you need to give me something yeah, some that physical. I can show them yeah. so that they believe this story. And, uh, initially the one leader that had been communicating with her gave her a book yeah. and said this, you can take this back. This is from our planet. And she, she said it was a language she didn't recognize, but also the way that it was written was more like Chinese writing. Like it was yeah, vertical like instead yeah. of horizontal. Mm-hmm. And it was, like hieroglyphs and not, mm-hmm. it didn't look anything like what she had seen before. And um, yeah, she said that was one of the most disappointing things because then when they're leaving, right before she's about to leave, the main, they, they all get into an argument about something and she doesn't really yeah. know what it is. Yeah. And uh, and then he and comes- you say they, you mean like these aliens, you know, the group of what they call greys sometimes. Like yeah. The group of these aliens kind of pull the leader to the side. And from what she can gather, the guys, are, the aliens are kind of like, hey, man, you're not going to send her with the book, are you? Yeah, yeah. And then the leader said, well, she asked for a uh Come on, know, she's been souvenir. so nice. Yeah. She's a sweet lady. It's <laughs> yeah. Betty. Just give her the book. Yeah, just you know? give her the book. And, and he, she wants to show her friends. And, and the guys in the alien group are like, that's exactly... That's the, exactly why you shouldn't no, give it to her. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, you're right. The leader comes back over sheepishly to Betty, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna need that remember, book back." Remember, I said I can't do it. And if, I, I'm picturing like a woman in that situation being like, "Well, I thought you were the leader." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you well, always let them talk to you like that? Is that they, they just tell you what to do, huh? Is uh-huh, that how it goes? Okay, okay yeah. yeah. Well, Spaceman. here's your stupid book back. I don't even want she some. throws it. Out. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the leader's get book. Get off my planet, yeah. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> oh, so yeah, funny. you're right. I heard, uh, I heard some audio of her recounting giving the book back. She was really disappointed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, she felt like, well, I mean, she wanted it, but also like she couldn't explain herself then. Yeah. Which, yeah. Who knows? Um, Let's get into Barney's hypnosis sessions. Okay. So yeah. Um, so anyway, that that kind of buttons up uh, Betty's interpretation of what happened. Mm-hmm. I think I think we covered most everything. Um, well, no, we didn't cover. Like, didn't they do like they did oh, tests sure. to yeah, them yeah, when yeah. they were on there? Yeah. So I mean, that, the, the the torn dress and then, yeah, they couldn't figure out a, the zipper was one mm-hmm. detail that I thought was pretty funny. Just that, yeah, they they're trying to you know, do kind of regular physical exam type stuff. They're looking at her nose and her ears and her mouth. And and they, they she, even had some sort of device that she didn't recognize mm-hmm. that didn't it tell her if she was, they could tell she wasn't pregnant or well, something like that. The thing that jumps out in a lot of these stories is that uh, they poke something in her belly button. And yeah, I mean, her interpretation was that they were checking out fertility of some kind or, you know, yeah, looking to see if she mm. was pregnant. Um, and then there's another account where she says uh, that they come in with Barney's dentures. Oh, yeah. They didn't yeah, they t- didn't understand what they were. <laughs> yeah, so apparently uh, Barney's in the next room getting checked out. Because he had been hit in the face during... He was in the military. Uh-huh. Yeah. Something happened to him in the military where he was... Uh, I don't know if it was a grenade or like something happened where I think he lost teeth, okay. which is why he had... Yeah, work. she said that she had to explain to these aliens, like, well, as we get older, we lose our teeth. It's it's fairly common for people to have dentures, like, and then they were tugging on her teeth trying to figure <laughs> out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, her her examination was pretty straightforward, aside from getting a needle jabbed into your stomach. I mean, that part isn't real pleasant, but. You're right. Her account of it is usually the tone of it's kind of, oh, yeah, well, they looked in my ears and they looked in my nose. And yeah, and then they asked me about the dentures. They they were kind of confused about that. But uh, yeah, that was not so bad. They tore my dress. <laughs> <laughs> That's what really yeah. wasn't nice. Uh-huh. Um, but then Barney. Yeah, meanwhile. <laughs> in the other room, Barney's getting <laughs> God knows what done to him. <laughs> taking his teeth out. He's in a trance the whole time. And uh 
Yeah. He, and, and, and he's with the, the not nice guys. So she's with the one that speaks English and seems to be really pleasant. He's with the guys that wouldn't give us the book. So. Yeah, listening to some of the interviews of him, um, not the hypnosis sessions, but some of the like interviews post-hypnosis where mm-hmm. he's just kind of given a general interview on a TV show or something. Um, I the, the way he likens it is kind of like if you or I found an animal in the wild and like you just picked it up to show your kid, like, oh, look, they got big ears so they can hear you well. You kind of manhandle it and you're not exactly he, respectful or whatever. Well, it's that, but it's like the word he used was indifference, which I thought yeah. was accurate. Like, you don't mean any harm to uh, a bird if you pick it up in the forest to show your kids. But yeah, you probably are being rougher than you should be, right? Yeah. Um, just because you're clumsy as a big dumb monkey on this earth. But um, yeah, he just, he described their tone or the kind of their interaction as indifferent to him. They're really just kind of going through the steps of checking him out. Um, Do we want to get on the cups on his junk? (laughs) We're going to leave that for people to just read about in Wikipedia. Let's just briefly go through it, but it is an important part. They also want to check out his fertility. So they put a cup between his legs and he he surmised that they took a sample. We'll leave it at that. Not pleasant. Those, no. <laughs> uh, but also like like we would treat pertinent animals, information. If we yeah. were studying an animal in the wild, you're going to study gonna a male and a female, blood, and you're, you're going to take some samples. Hair and you're samples, gonna, yeah. I mean, but I can understand why Barney didn't like the experience no, at all. I, they probably going to need to sedate me if you plan on yeah i don't think i would some voluntarily kind of stunt like that <laughs> <laughs> take this cup no thank you <laughs> unless you put me in a trance probably not going to happen so uh yeah kind of as you've alluded to these hypnosis sessions uh betty's are relatively pleasant but barney's are Freak pretty out. emotional yeah I heard the recordings of it. i feel like yeah. i listened to it a while yeah back. i didn't pull them up on youtube but i heard clips of them um, yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's very upset. He's yeah. screaming like a terrified, mm-hmm. terrified kind of, which seems about right. I mean, you know, you think, uh, I think any of us would be terrified. You would be terrified if, oh, absolutely. I mean, you'd be more terrified because you're in a trance too. Like, I think that they reasoned with her and maybe that's a shame that like, if they had treated him nicely, he might've been more okay with it i don't know it's uh winning hearts and minds man that's yeah, always more effective <laughs> <laughs> can't just go in there yeah but you know i think I, I think my interpretation of, of it is a lot of it was just the violation of it like sure, not yeah. not being able to like stop them not being able to control yourself well particularly you know you're a you're a man and if you're bigger than the average man and it's you and your wife out on a trip or wherever you your job's to protect her. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah, you're getting put in this trance or whatever. Yeah. And weirdos. Yeah. Not only are you concerned for your own safety, but you're probably feeling, you know, demoralized by the fact that you can't protect your family. Um, you're, you're terrified. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty harrowing Which makes experience. Sense why, you know, his, his thing when they came back was he didn't want to talk about it. Like he was very, it was not a pleasant experience for him. And that, really does line up with, you know, that's, that's how you would feel. Like it makes sense. Like both of their interpretations of it just seem, if you listen to their interviews, just seem very believable. If you think about like, what's the story and how would you react in that situation? To me anyway, that's, that's one of the things I really like about it is it just seems very, yeah, that's, that feels about. If I got bullied by some aliens, yeah, I wouldn't go bragging about it to anybody. Yeah. I mean, I, I would even say, I mean, I'll go on record saying, and I don't know if I saw aliens. I'm just saying that the the first time that I saw a UFO, I did see a UFO. And I'll tell that story one day. But the first time I did, honestly, my first gut reaction was to not tell people about it. Like, you do feel this tension where you're like, they're going to think I'm crazy. And... I don't, all I did was see lights in the sky. I don't know what I saw. Like, it wasn't like I did not have a Betty and Barney Hill abduction situation, but I did see lights in the sky that I can't explain. But even, yeah. even just a slight variation from normal behavior, you just, there's a part of you that's like, I just don't feel like, because you just wonder like, well, what are people going to think of me? You're, you know, 
you're a person of color married to a white woman in the 60s. You've got enough heat yeah, on you yeah. as it is. You don't Absolutely. need to come out with some alien story. And you're the, yeah. then the, you're the alien guy, Ugh. which they did become that. Like they ended oh, up yeah. doing like the public circuit. Yeah. They were on talk shows and, uh, you know, it became a movie. I mean, it was a very mm-hmm. big story back in the day. Seems like, <coughs> I mean, Barney only lived a, a few number of years after this. Yeah. Um, but Betty definitely went on to be a more public figure. Um, at some point, I think they referred to her as the grandmother of UFOlogy, yeah. right? I mean, um, what else? Let's see. Yeah, the the thing that's noted here in the Wikipedia is just that the accounts between Barney and Betty are similar. Um, I mean, you can probably hear between the two of us, it's not identical, but... There's but that actually parallels. plays yeah. a bit into the believability of it, because if you listen to like, there's a lot of psychology experts that study uh, like crime scenes and, you know, witness testimony to events. And that's actually an indication that people are telling the truth. If you have an event oh, sure, yeah. where everybody tells a cookie cutter exactly mm-hmm. the same story, you know, it's some sort of uh, colluded. Yeah. Like we've all talked about this, got on the same page. You actually look for slight variations. Hmm. So I did my own study on this. Somebody I know claims to have seen a UFO actually very close up back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, his brother was there at the same time. And so when he told me about it and the part of the story was, and my older brother was there too. And so I was skeptical and he said, well, you can call him up and you can, t- you can, you can talk to my brother. He'll tell you the same thing. So then shortly after that, I did, I was somewhere where his brother happened to be there too. And they had, hadn't talked about it. And so I pulled him aside and said, I need to talk to you about this story your brother told me. And he, I could tell they had not talked about it and it's not something he had thought about in a long time. But when he retold the story to me, it was very similar, but had variations, hmm. which actually made it more believable. Sure. So like yeah. My friend said he saw green lights, and I think his brother said they were blue. But it was enough of a variation sure, that you're like, yeah. "That's." it doesn't sound like they've colluded on this story. I think it's been you know, a couple decades, mm-hmm. and they remember it slightly different. And so I think any of these stories, that's kind of what you look for, is something where it's like, that's uh, that plays into the believability, I think. No, I don't disagree with that. I think if you and I experience something, whether it be a UFO encounter or just any kind of daily deal or even like remember that gig back yeah yeah you know there are gonna be things gonna be that different. jump out to you yeah like let's say it's a some kind of fiasco at a gig there are gonna be things that jump out to you as the front man oh i, I was trying to remember words that guy knocked a table over that are not gonna be as specific to me as like a guy on the side of the stage you yeah know? um so yeah there are gonna be details that are more prevalent in your memory so uh, I'll just to tie it up with the hypnosis piece, Simon's conclusions, Dr. Simon's conclusions, the Wikipedia just says that uh, he speculated that Barney's recollection of the UFO encounter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams. Uh, Simon, Simon thought it was the most reasonable and consistent explanation. Um, Barney rejected this idea, noting that while their memories were consistent in some regards, there were also portions in both of their narratives that were unique to each yeah, other, which there you is, go. yeah, yeah to it's your a believable point. story. Um, one of the comments I heard on the fact that, you know, the hypnotist that performed these sessions, you know, he, he in the end kind of goes, well, I think they imagined this. Um, the, the rebuttal to that was, well, we're talking about, we hadn't even gone to the moon yet. This is mm. before we're out in outer space or had not gone to the moon yet. Um, but the point is, just like most doctors or most officials would even today, if you came to them with a story like this, you're likely going to give some kind of a, well, well, I wasn't there. I didn't see them go in a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Safe bet for me to say, ah, it's probably some kind of a, you know, a Well, dream. and in light of, I mean, even this, this story itself, I mean, it kind of all goes back to 2016. Like that was that was the year that I was like something's going on, because um, since 1947, when Roswell happened or allegedly happened, um, there's been 
a back and forth with everything from the Phoenix Lights incident to Betty and Barney Hill to uh, the aerial school, uh, you know, case to to modern day to me seeing something over my house. Um, I think that where we are now, where it's like the uh, president of the United States was talking about UFOs just a few weeks ago and senators and congressmen are taking this subject Seriously, all since 2016, when there was the New York Times published a piece about several videos that were posted of from, you know, leaked from the Pentagon showing what they were like, these, we don't know what this is. There's stuff we're catching on our radars, stuff we're seeing in the sky. We don't know what it is. And so I could see back being in 1961, maybe a little skeptical, but now hundreds, hundreds, maybe thousands of witness testimony and, you know, things going on all the way up to now you have serious politicians talking about it. It's, you kind of have to look back and at some of these cases and sure. go, yeah. yeah, well, maybe, there, you know, if the president today is talking about UFOs, maybe they were coming here in 1961 and in 1947 and 1952 and mm-hmm. maybe even all the way back to Jesus Christ. Who knows? Well, know? yeah, I mean, like, now back to, ni- I mean, 60 years is not a long time as far as like light years go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a relatively short period of time. It's not crazy to think that if aliens started showing up 60 years ago, then yeah, most likely 120 years ago, 240 years ago, you know, back and back. So I'm with you. I don't But you think, it, yeah, that same side, I just, I guess, I mean, that same psychiatrist might have a different opinion looking at the yeah, headlines yeah. of the news today. Mm-hmm. And still, we don't have a lot that's verified except that, um, a lot of fighter pilots, a lot of radar operators, our buddy, you it know, helps. even who's a pilot. I yeah. mean, people, people are, um, you know, starting to open up to this idea that maybe something's been going on that we don't really understand. It really helps the credibility when it is a fighter pilot or just a pilot in general. Um, and it, yeah, any kind of documentation. I mean, that sort of goes without saying, but yeah, again, if I'm a psychiatrist, and this couple is telling me this stuff and they were just out on a dark country road by themselves in the middle of the night. There's not a lot to corroborate that. Right. Um, whereas yeah, when a, a very vetted pilot is telling you, well, I know it wasn't another plane and I know it wasn't stars cause I know where those are <laughs> and I know it wasn't this, that, or the other thing. I, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't all the things we normally get yeah. to blame this on. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I love this story. I love, um, I love the movie, even though it's not a great movie. I love uh, listening to interviews with Betty Hill. I think that, um, what exactly happened to them? Um, obviously I don't know that. I just know their story and I know, um, it like, I think I said on the last podcast, they were kind of the first ones to come out with a story like this Mm -hmm. and that these, a lot of these stereotypes about these stories, they, they, there's some similarities, you know what I mean? And it's like, well, they either came, they were the first to come up with it or they actually experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. They did. It's set the template. It's kind of like Bob Lazar, like, like if Bob Lazar would do his, his story later too, but if Bob Lazar wanted to, he could probably be, probably be an incredibly successful science fiction writer if he just yeah. took his whole story and made books out of it. But um, you know, either he experienced what he said he experienced, or he came up with all these concepts that went on to be kind of the plots for a lot of novels and books that were very or novels and movies that were very successful. Uh, he could have made a lot of money off that, but he 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 didn't. So, I mean, either way. That to me makes it interesting. I, I don't, I think they were like, as far as we know, as far as like alien abduction stories, Travis Walton kind of things, like they were the first one. So, yeah. At least first public one that yeah, we really know about. There's, uh, there's another one a few years prior to Betty and Barney Hill in Brazil. Um, not as highly publicized. This Betty and Barney Hill is kind of the, the flashpoint before you start to get. Like you said, this surge in the standard sort of flying saucer grays um, and then, yeah, uh, getting abducted and, (laughs) you know, checked out by these alien doctors (laughs) 
or maybe not doctors, maybe just maybe clumsy just handed a- aliens just <laughs> checking things out, <laughs> showing their kids. Yeah. Dicey. Well, uh, that's about all I have on it. I mean, it's a fascinating story. I say, check out the movie. I think you can watch it for free on YouTube. I, I think that's I watched fun. it. At least used to be able yeah, to. Okay. And uh, it's cool to see James Earl Jones as just a young actor. It and is cool. Definitely check out uh, the ballad of Betty and Barney Hill. It's oh, yeah. the best That's abduction song ever James written. Earl Jones. And yeah. uh, I should cut a version of that using old footage from the movie. Ooh, it's like a music yeah, video. Yeah, that's awesome. I wonder if I could do that and like claim some sort of copyright fair use. I'd have to say something historical, I think, or well, educational. Just text Barack and have him ask James Earl Jones if you can use... What if they get James Earl Jones to narrate White Mountain? Oh, that would be and great. And they use yeah. my song in the soundtrack and you hear James Earl Jones talking Over with my voice. song in the background. Yeah, oh, That'd be a heck of a turn in the simulation. Just saying. <laughs> just saying, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Please... Like, share, subscribe, do all the things you do to podcasts. We appreciate everybody listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Dave. Right on.